Hello and welcome back to Artistically Ours Neurocast podcast, the podcast where we chat neurodivergent people and neurodivergent voices about the experiences of being neurodivergent in a space that is unrivaled. Unlike any other podcasts on neurodivergency where we hope to discuss neurodivergency and important topical issues within the neurodivergent community as with telling people stories where they have the control and power over their stories. And in today's episode, I will be interviewing uh, Lena Sarah Farhat from the Liberal Democrats. She's a political, she's a town councillor, a political campaigner. She's also a, uh, works in a com- uh, computer lamp coding language thing and uh, as well as amongst of other things which she'll discuss in a podcast which uh, she'll discuss with autism diagnosis and the experience of masking in her young younger childhood as well as by, as uh, holding her uh, be working being autistic socializing uh, relationships and much as other things and I hope you enjoy the podcast interview which I had with Lena Sarah Farhat. So my name is Lena, Lena Farhat. I live in North Wales. I am a town councillor in my community of Llanvedevechen and I am on the spectrum. I'm autistic. Um, I was, yeah, I've had to go through, you know, assessment process and, and that sort of thing to get my, my diagnosis. And part of that is still ongoing, um, which is, you know, strenuous in itself. Yeah. Oh, so you're still going through the formal process of sorting your diagnosis out, is it? Yeah, yeah. So I had a diagnosis when I was younger. And then when I moved up to North Wales, they asked that it should be updated. So I had to go back through assessment. Yeah, because I moved health systems a lot when I was younger. This must be quite odd then having to like already got like some sort of formal diagnosis and having to go through the diagnostic process again. Uh, yeah, yeah it's it's a lot and I don't remember doing it the first time because I was a child and now I'm starting to go through it myself. So it's with the North Wales Autism Service and please they just send you out some paperwork that you have to fill in and then they get you set up for um for a set of assessments. So I'm still waiting on the first one, but um yeah. that should be booked in pretty soon. But yeah, it's different doing it as an adult, I think. I should imagine because yeah, like I was diagnosed myself when I was about 10 and like from that you know like I wouldn't remember like the diagnostic process or you know when much about like why was like an assessment sorted and so what age was it when you like were first diagnosed and discovered as being autistic? I think it was around the age of six or seven I know it was in my first year of school so I think I must have been about six or seven at that point and it was a teacher that had picked up on some of the stuff I was doing I mean obviously so I'm 25 and I think conversations around autism have changed quite a bit over the years and the way that we pick that up especially in kids it was a teacher that had pointed out to my parents that I struggled to look in people's eyes when I was talking to them which you know is sort of one of the traditional 
emotional points, but equally just that I didn't feel the need to have many friends. I didn't feel the need to be social at break time and maybe I should go for an assessment. And I did. And I think the the one thing I remember at the time was that I was always told that like girls were better at masking. And I've always felt like I've not been very good. And it's something that I've had to practice over the years. And it's something I think that when you work with people, you become acutely more aware. So I know like within politics, it's kind of interesting. One of the county councillors that um, has mentored me over over a few years now um, is also autistic. And we have a lot of conversations around masking in public contexts and how do you work a room and actually learning how to do that, you know, in terms of making those connections with people to get them to feel comfortable, to get them to open up to you, um, but still, you know, making sure that you don't appear cold um, or yeah. you don't appear disinterested in their problems or that you're approaching issues with a lot of tact. Um, and I think that, I don't know, from a politics perspective, that is something that you have to learn. I think when you're sort of anywhere on the spectrum, really, I think yeah. you have to learn it. And it's something that a lot of other people don't think about. I remember when I first got involved in politics, I was asking people questions like, how do you work a room? How do you know which people to go and talk to? How do you know, you know, where to start? And I didn't realise that other people didn't really think about that. But for me, I would happily, if I hadn't learned those skills, just stand in a corner and wait for people to maybe come up to me. But realistically, that's not how it works. Because, like I was saying, you're, like, involved in politics at, like, a town pump's level, and they know you're a party activist within a Liberal Democrats. It's like that thing, like, probably when you enter that arena, it's hard to know then as an autistic person, you know, how to find yourself uh, included, access, you know, you feel like you're progressing in the space and, you know, can can find yourself easily involved and, you know, autistic, neurodivergent people, you know, getting involved in politics. That can be quite a hard thing to get to achieve and, you know, there's definitely different barriers of the social aspects of it. Yeah, I I think you're completely right on that. And I see it. So like I said, I work with this county councillor who, you know, is a fair few years older than me. I think he's in his 50s now. Um, But he was diagnosed quite late in life. I think he he got his diagnosis when he was 40. So that's, again, like a different story. But he realised that he was he was having to do he was doing those things without the diagnosis and just doing it on his own. And now sort of conversely, I worked a lot of our younger activists. And I've got, you know, quite a few autistic activists who I can see myself in. So things like we've just had our party conference and one of our um, members on our Welsh Young Liberals exec wanted to make a speech, but felt that he wasn't sure he could because he was like, well, I'm autistic. I'm not good at talking in front of people. And I was like, I don't know. That shouldn't be a barrier. That shouldn't be something that you're worried about. And equally, no one's going to call you out for, for stuttering, for saying something wrong, for taking a break while you're talking. No one will do that. And I think it's about making sure that people feel comfortable. And I think especially with what I find with a lot of autistic people is we hold ourselves to a very high standard I'm not sure why that is but we do and we'll just like I don't know like if you stutter in the middle of a sentence you're like oh my god this person is going to think about it for ages now 
but realistically that's yeah. that's not the case so you I don't know it's about supporting people to not do those things I think and to try and in a way normalize the you know the way we are and equally autism um, manifests itself so differently in different people so some things that I understand you know or, or that are that are things that I do not everybody else does or things that they cope with so for example one thing that I struggle with um that I'm getting a lot better at is like sensory triggers I used to be really bad with sound and touch so things like I could I really didn't like touching chalk I, I don't know why <laughs> but yeah. chalk was something I couldn't do sounds there are certain sounds that will trigger me you know to stem a bit or, or that sort of thing and even just thinking about chalk you can see my fingers do this I don't like it's just certain scent like certain feelings I don't like but that's not something that all people with autism have or would understand I think there's an interesting talk to be had and actually I'm I'm curious to know how many politicians are autistic in any way I think that would be really yeah. interesting to find out yeah because it is definitely something interesting to find out and something that I think as like a developer this podcast on like on the shared channel and to be able to like explore that as when to be able to see this as a base that can encourage disabilities disabled neurodivergent people to have like an open conversation and like discuss issues are important to them and like actually like discuss any like politically active campaigns that like support them with disability and uh, neurodivergency and of intersectional issues and it's about to have that conversation to like actually being using this as a place to start to drive chains and as you're saying then it'd be like the social settings then and all the high standards I think that that for many said that from a young age, you know, like you learn the skill of mass, you're a uh, complete mentor who's got diagnosed later on in life, you know, masked himself. And I think that overanalysation and, you know, really overthinking those social situations is often down to the masking. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it really plays a, a big part. And I think it's it's not just that. I think that on, on the flip side, you know, weirdly, what I find with a lot of autistic people within politics is that they're very data driven, like they're very comfortable reading a lot, like reading yeah. massive documents or reading lots of numbers or and, and telling you what's going on. But then when yeah. you ask them to explain it, they, you might not understand the explanation that comes yeah. out. Um, and I'm guilty of that. Um, so that's, I think, another skill that's learned in terms of like, how do you convey what it is you want to say in a way that other people will understand? As I said, that aspect, because I was saying that, that with autism, it's like you got like, like skills and then different like, because, you know, like we uh, are all get our like own like like certain specific kind of language or like way of communication that can be different to an holistic person and then I think from that all type of things can definitely knock on people's confidence of getting involved in certain workplace careers if they uh, can't you know write or comprehend things in a way that another person may you know prefer to read it or like see things else but then you know looking at things from a different lens is quite valuable yeah and I think that one thing I think that's worked quite well again it's come from this mentor he was like one thing that is really good to do is to take your special area of interest and make that your policy area so I know I've got one friend who's younger than me and active within the Welsh Liberal Democrats and I, I said this to him I was like look you really you you know everything there is to know about buses any 
anything, bus routes, bus models. He, he can tell you what kind of bus you're on just by a picture of you on a seat on a bus and he will be able to tell you what bus it is. And I was like, you can make that your niche policy area because if you know that that's something that you enjoy, you know that's something that you're interested in learning more about and keeping up to date with, that in itself, we have the ability to to take those areas of interest and be the expert on that one thing. You don't need to be an expert on everything. You can be an expert in, you know, in your special area of interest. So for this council, for example, he he used to work for the Ordnance Survey. So he's really good at maps, looking yeah. at maps and the history of maps. And and that was his yeah, that was his area for me. It, it's, you know, it, it's more like equality and diversity policy. I find that like I can tell you an awful lot about it in yeah. terms of legislation and that sort of thing. And I really enjoy it. Usually in, in politics and even in life, people sort of want you to know everything about everything. But I think it's better to be like good at one specific thing than sort of average at a bunch of things. Like yeah. that work, that is a model that works well, I think, for, for people with autism. Definitely, it does help brands, you know, adds advantage to the many in a career space, whereas like politics and then in a general field of the workplace that probably when autistic people can find themselves in a workplace and get a career in what they are interested in. It's like that is their focused interests can provide a beneficial skill set as you are found when yeah. you know like you're focused with your own like campaigning and you know persistent within the party doing a lot of uh, equality and diversity. And as a young disabled uh, queer woman of colour, you probably found that as the, you know, being belonging to different intersectional groups and minority backgrounds, that has inspired you to uh, do a lot of diversity and equality and speak up within a party on that issue. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, I think that's played a big part in it. But I think also, that like I just find it I find it a good way to like meet people and practice meeting people when you work in these sorts of intersectional things like it's easier to start a conversation with people when you know that they have something in common with you for me I think that was where I found that place of comfort is that I know that there's a commonality there when you are sort of a part of a demographic that that is a minority, realistically, it's easier to start that conversation. That was one thing yeah. I've always struggled with. And I think it could be down to my autism is, is how do you approach starting a conversation? It's not something that I've mastered yeah. even now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, because you know, it's, 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 it's a way that I cope with yeah. it. <laughs> As you say, enough because it's like you know sometimes there's small talk or like how beyond small talk how, how you can like continue on a conversation can be quite difficult for an autistic person and I think it's then you know what people don't sometimes understand about autistic people or or what is misinterpreted and people get wrong is that autistic people may, might not want to socialize or you know have that kind of socially involved life and like as you proven you know we laughed that's uh, something that you went and finding yourself within spaces focusing on diversity and equality has allowed you to find you know like 
people who like like minded selves have different life experiences and I think from that you know we can feel less alone and you know if it gives you that sense of community and I think that type of sense of community is definitely beneficial. Yeah I think that it's it's a complete misconception that autistic people don't like to socialise I think we just socialise differently and we prefer to socialise on our own terms yeah if that makes sense yeah that um, makes sense yeah I don't I don't I think it's just there are different ways of socializing and I don't know most of the autistic people that I know who either have gone through a diagnosis or are going through one are very social but yeah. just not in the way that most people would want them to be like I don't know I can talk to my mate about buses I've got another friend his his special area of interest is natural science talk to them yeah. for ages and they they have so much to say and it's so interesting and yeah. you know the counselor I talk to you know we can stay on the phone together and talk about anything and nothing for about four hours we're very social but we yeah. just have an understanding of the way that we socialize and I think it is slightly different but that's okay yeah and I I wonder if there would be a lot by people acknowledging the fact that you socialise in different, like pe- different people socialise. Because that's definitely something people do need to understand about autistic people. As you're saying that, you know, you were diagnosed in school and then that started the masking thing. So with like that, you know, like school can be uh, like a place where autistic people start to mask. And like, I think that's one place that I probably like that out people see as hard to find the difficult to socialize. I think can like stem from the difficult like a difficulty in like the school environment as that's not probably not the best space for us to make friends unless it's like in a some sort of like interest clubs or you know like some groups where where we like can easily find people who are the same interests and like mm-hmm. I remember when you like looking at the like I was doing a bit of research last night on like what could discuss with you and like you I, like come across that you wrote like a list in uh, year 13 of like diff- like different ways that you were uh, like had like a cheat code of how to mask like on in social situations and, and like as you say you was like telling on like yeah like the state of I will like in like a school environment and even in sixth form that you know like you found challenges then yeah definitely oh hang on I can I can probably find it give me a sec yeah there we go I have yeah. I can find it she says <laughs> running around with her little I was showing this to a friend actually he's a teaching assistant and he works with a lot of kids with ASD yeah. <laughs> um so he was like I really want to like bring it in to show my kids that like they're not the only ones doing yeah. this so I ha- this is my little list of like things to say when you're in trouble yeah. <laughs> and this is the same one I used in school so this is the original um and I wrote th- basically I wrote things to say that I knew would go down well with teachers because I was always in trouble and I always felt like no matter what I said, they didn't understand that I may have been sorry or that I didn't realise that I was doing something wrong. And I felt like I wasn't communicating that very well. So I wrote myself a list to make sure that I was saying the right things. So I would say things I have. It, it, it's my fault and I take full responsibility or blame. Violence is not the answer. Um, I see myself as a mature blank year old. So how <laughs> old I was at the time. i proving in this that I was going to age. Stealing is wrong. I don't know why I was dealing, but there we go. I will redo the assignment or project. I'm very disappointed in myself. Mr. or Mrs. Blank is a great teacher. It was not my intention to cause trouble or harm. Um, thank you for this chance slash opportunity. And then those were the quotes. And then I had like attitude. So it was always blame myself, never insult anyone. 
suppress your real thoughts, be a sheep, be cute and apologetic and don't lose the mass. Yeah. And I can't remember how old I was when I wrote this, but I was in my early teens um, at this point when I was getting in trouble for doing things. And I continued getting in trouble through all of my schooling. And this would be in my pocket every single day. Yeah. Uh, it's not in my pocket anymore so I like to think there's been yeah. growth but I really struggled um, and I think it was it was being autistic and it was also like coping with anxiety and depression and that sort of thing I used to lash out a lot not necessarily physically but I would just walk out of classes that I was bored in I would like if I didn't like something I would just pull myself out of that situation which isn't what you're meant to be doing in school you're meant to like go yeah. to do things but I just sometimes I just couldn't cope but I also didn't know how to communicate that so, so I, guess, I just left <laughs> yeah, I think that can be like something that you know like an autistic person might put into because you know it's like you, I guess sometimes probably found yourself quite overwhelmed or, or as I say that you know when you like read off like certain points it's like sometimes it, it's like the feeling like you're almost going like feeling bit meltdown or like sense you overwhelmed and different stuff you just need to sometimes have the ability to take yourself away from like space where you felt uncomfortable or, or didn't wasn't feeling happy in and just yeah. to like calm down and relax and like give yourself some time with even though you were diagnosed young and do you have, do you have like that and like your teachers already knowing about this your autism yeah. at the time yeah I guess it really was telling off how they uh, misunderstood your autism and didn't know how to uh Sport, you're you being autistic, yeah. Yeah, like so, they, yeah. they saw, I think, like I said at the beginning, there's been a change in the way that we talk about autism from when I was younger, but equally, like, just generally, I don't know. I think there's certain preconceptions that used to exist but don't exist anymore, yeah. Just the way that we not deal with autistic kids, but we think about them. Like, I remember when yeah. I was a kid, autistic kids were separated from the class, you wouldn't be sat in the same class all the time everyone else and it made you feel weird and for me I never quite understood it because I was like if you want me to socialize why would you take me out of a situation where I could be social like I didn't I couldn't make sense of it um so yeah I always found that really strange I never really found myself like withdrawn from the uh, class so much because like in school like I, I kind of had a thing off like kept credit never really t told my classmates like I wasn't or to stick into like six form or whatever. And then, so like, it was just trying to like say nothing about it and just, you know, guess plow on for it. Because like, I say, it's so hard feeling like you have to mask and you know, you, you don't know, you kind of almost don't want anybody to know it about yourself. Like I found, I think when I was that young, I'd like, I didn't want anybody to like, think any like different of me. And because it does take a lot to uh, overcome that internalized ableism. Mm, yeah. I no, I think I think it's different when you've had a diagnosis at a young age for me like I've never like thought about my autism as something that was debilitating yeah. until I grew up really because yeah. I thought of I was diagnosed there was a note on my record I, I knew it was there yeah. and I continued as if you know because for me that was my normal like I I, yeah. I never wanted to treat for me I kind of was in denial I guess that it was a disability yeah and it is you know, it is debatable whether it is a disability, whether it's not. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was just like, no, this is just who I am. I, mm. I'm just like this. And that's okay. Yeah. I never thought that it wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, and then when it was only when I went to university um, and I was living alone, I think that was the change is when yeah. you 
living alone um as someone who is autistic that is very different things you need to sort of check in on yourself with yeah um then I was like oh okay no I I I have this thing I have this you know this is the way this may be the way I am but it's not always um something that I can just discount like it is actually debilitating sometimes yeah you are allowed to struggle and 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 you know with struggling like for example um I always struggled with like if something popped into my head I would say it right I would I was pretty much that and I would be brutally honest which gets you into all sorts of strange situations and then when you get to being an adult obviously you're accountable for your own words yeah and I'd never thought of that I do now um but that was a sort of you know rude awakening that you know I was like oh okay not everyone does this other people have the capacity to stop think decide if that's the thing they want to say and then possibly say it or not say it um it was a skill I kind of had to learn as an adult yeah (laughs) yeah it's like I think when you're like you know diagnosed as a child I think it's one of those things so you don't always know I can almost you don't know what what autism is in a way because I guess you're just like you know you're like an autistic but you're like don't know much about it so you kind of like as you say you just like have it have it on your documents and you know you kind of just like try to play one life without you know with it in the background and not knowing how to uh, like see it for what it is and I think with like it wasn't until like saw like people talking about it on social media and stuff like that that I kind of like understand knew about it and I guess when you like oh well was in university then it's that that amount of change probably made you find, find yourself struggling more than you, you ever did with like the overwhelming like sensory overload to like sorting out with young you get to enter different space and so socializing with their new group of people is it um yeah I think what helped me in uni was that I quickly found other people who were autistic which really helped because in a way we're all going through the same thing um but in a way it manifested itself very differently so like for me I would I I lived alone for most of my university time yeah really enjoyed that and my parents always worried and they were like but aren't you lonely living alone I was like no because I was lucky to go to a very small so I went to Aberystwyth University quite a small university and I was like no because I'm in a situation where any of my friends are never more than a 10 minute walk from where I live yeah and then when I'm tired and I want to go home I just close my door yeah and I'm alone (laughs) and I can reach socially from that um but I know quite a few friends that like were in the same setting but found living alone really lonely um because sometimes you know their anxiety meant that leaving the house was hard and I think through COVID it became more normalized to hang out online um I mean having studied computer science quite a few of us were doing that anyway yeah I think it's the definition of again how do you what do we consider being social um how do you consider being social um and I think that's something that like people like I don't know being social has to be like a face-to-face conversation when actually that's not the case you can check one and still feel a connection there you could be on you know you could be on a video chat and still feel that you're being social and enjoying yourself and different things work for different people yeah as like as you're saying about you know you know like you find in like 
easier to live alone and other people might find it lonely. It's just that one thing off, like, you know, two experiences of autism are the same and everyone, you know, like, goes through that experience of university differently. Like, as if I'm, like, two weeks in, like, starting it, I found myself quite burnt out with, like, lots of the chains. And then, then as I say, with the pandemic, it can provide uh, beneficial online spaces can be finding, like, people like yourself. Maybe it was, like, for, like, finding autistic people probably for yourself to find in like more people with involved with the Liberal Democrats party as as you are and never convicted against people you probably found as you said you found that beneficial and that can be more accessible way of communicating for autistic people and, and benefits of com- communicating within like Gen Z communities. Yeah definitely I think for me so I really like Discord for example as a platform yeah. and the way that's organised I think it's quite conducive to to people who have autism and it's quite interesting because I was thinking about this recently talking to friends about this being like I don't know why I enjoy what I find interactions on discord a lot less pressure and I think it's because the way it works is you're a member of like a server and each server is a certain um, place of interest so for me I know if I want to go and talk about languages that's on one server with one group of people and I can pin an hour of that and if I want to go and talk about politics that's a different server and already sort of people have signed up to these communities across the world um, and you know they're already interested in the thing you're going to talk about and it's so easy that way whereas like when you meet someone in person there's always that fear of like going into a conversation going okay I might not have anything in in common with this person and what do I say how do I start this it's like wherever like you have a social media platform it's like you in this like big open space and then as I was saying earlier that like in school it's like socialising for autistic people may like some of uh, autistic people may find like certain uh, clubs and activity hobby groups discord to uh, provide like a club or like a group of like preferred focused interest and then if you can like avoid all the small talk and just get talking about random different things so, as you say, you know, with the right person, you can end up talking about hours for, with it, like, on anything and a thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, before, and like I said, from when you, like, started engaging in uh, different communities, like, as you were saying earlier, you, ma- you managed to find all very different, like, people within a Liberal Democrat party who are also autistic. And I guess that's been, like, beneficial from, like, finding a lot of, like-minded people in, the river, like, the same spaces. Yeah, no, I I, can, I think you're right. I think it is easier. Once you know where the spaces are, then yeah. you know who you're, well, not who you're talking to, but what sort of things you're yeah. interested in. Um, and then you can sort of work with that, and that's really nice. Also, when to, like, talk about the different things around politics, mentioned and like what as party political activist and what like what are the things that you've been involved in the party that have helped autistic or neurodivergent people or and as like to be a town councillor or to be like a political candidate and somebody who speaks within the political groups what's been like things that motivated you to uh, like help certain autistic and neurodivergent people? I would say probably a lot of the policy writing around mental health especially here in Wales so I remember from 
from the 2021 um, Senate election manifesto when we were writing that. I was the diversity officer at the time. Um, so it was my job to represent the breadth and depth of different forms of diversity, including um, people who had disabilities. And I think that one thing that is often overlooked is the way that we do mental health provision and the way that mental health is quantified. Um, so here in Wales, yeah. as a Welsh Liberal Democrat, I believe in the fact that physical health and mental health should be valued just the same. If you can get time off for a broken arm, you should be able to have time off because you've had, you know, a really bad day of anxiety and you haven't been able to leave your house. Um, and I think that, you know, that is something that impacts autistic people because in terms of workflow, in terms of the education system, um, it's it doesn't, it's not the same for everyone. Everyone's yeah. experiences are not the same. And that's what I was trying to get across in the way that we wrote those, um, those policies in terms of making sure that physical and mental health are evaluated in the same way. Same with physical and mental um, disability as well, evaluated in the same way. And, yeah. and that's something I really hope that the Welsh government looks into. There's a really good all-party parliamentary group on disabilities in Wales. And the person who chairs it, Marcus Sherwood, is really, really active. He's got disability himself. He's got um, cochlear implants. Yeah. Um, he knows what it's like to struggle, you know, in, in, in a public sphere with a disability. And I remember I did quite a few, either two or three um, disabilities testings. One was with Disabilities Wales. And I remember the pre-sort of preconception of like what a disabled person looked like. And for me, when I said to people, oh, I've got a disability. And equally, that's, a, that's only something yeah. sort of only started recently saying, because again, when I was younger, I didn't feel it was a disability. Yeah. I was just like, I'm autistic. <laughs> that, was, that was where it went. But when I said, oh, I've got a disability, I had so many people go, well, we didn't we didn't think you had a disability. We didn't think that. And a lot of friends say to me, they go, oh, um, we never really, you don't come across as autistic until yeah. we spend more time with you. And then we figure it out on certain things you may be doing. Yeah. And I think that that is quite telling as to how people think autistic people or disabled people should look, sound, speak. And I, and I do hope that other politicians are like more upfront about disabilities they may have. So I've mentioned Mark Isherwood, the Welsh Liberal Democrat MPs that I have worked with in the past. Um, Sarah Green, she has a disability. She's she's hard of hearing in one ear. And um, it impacts yeah. the way people work with her. A lot of people say she's very aggressive, but actually it's because sometimes she's not very good at regulating her tone of voice. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. that. Um, where once you give people that little bit of yeah. information, they go, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But initially, people form these preconceived ideas of what a disabled person looks like, sounds like, experiences they've had um and and I get it all the time to the point where it has started becoming a little bit tiring yeah uh, because for me you know I, I I I live life in in the way that I see fit you know I'm, I'm doing a PhD I have two jobs and people go well how could you have two jobs I'm like because I I'm interested in these two things <laughs> and I really enjoy yeah. it um, and I'm interested in everything I do and I pick up projects I enjoy um you know it's, it's that sort of view of things. So I think that's one policy area is mental health. I think um, the other policy areas would probably be ones related to young people um, and the way that young people access services. Again, when you are autistic, the way that you can access services and even just the confidence you have to access services, such as youth services, um, sports and culture services within Wales, that sort of thing. It is different. The experience we have is different. I know. I, I always call it the great divide. 
um, lovingly yeah. because people have this view that autistic people don't like talking to people as we've discussed not just being social don't like talking to people and for me I have no problem picking up the phone to someone but I know a lot of people that would prefer a message and it's sort of yeah. knowing who prefers me- and, and, and equally for me I find sometimes sending an email to be more anxiety inducing than picking up the phone and talking to someone yeah um, and different people work different ways and it's about knowing how people work again that falls into the services thing because there's so much now that if you want to do something you know even just to get a doctor's appointment you need to pick up the phone yeah some people that's not an option um yeah. so changing the way and having different ways of accessing services i think is really important said to have that like recently was reading a book like on the oh for all sorts of autistic uh and typical of on be a good read and like it did highlight oh like the issues of like accessing health and mental health services because you know like of having to like having a phone call and being up you know, like local surgery or certain health institute uh, health uh, you know establishment and that can be a great barrier because like so many like times you may have to like try to ring in and ring in again because you know like it does take a lot long time to get up get on the phone with the receptionist and as you're saying then about somebody with like you know people who have had urine and co-adep and then answering the phone and picking up the phone isn't something that would be accessible to them so as you're saying it's something that does need to be improved whether that's as you say booking with an email or some sort of like other text-based online service to actually being able to get like going and getting rapid like a quick and easy response to get like medical support is something that needs to be done and you like to highlight that mental health should be treated equally as physical health health and you know is chronically undefended in Wales and you know like you don't have exactly the same accessibility to like a mental health support person as you would maybe to like get into like physio or referred for any other physical practice in a work. Yeah, and exactly. Does need to be improved up. So it's like something that the charity sector does end up picking the work of what the government should already have to be done. And, uh, and for me, why it seems to be like the misconceptions that people have around your autism and and disability that it's still a thing that that people still got a lot to learn as you say the like the conversations around disability has advanced and improved since the first time you got diagnosed and you were in school but you know like there's still a big long way to go off like how you do disability as you said that some people thought you didn't look autistic or like so obvious traits and that's definitely don't mask in but it's like the constant questions now having to challenge people to answer to the misconceptions of disability and for a disabled person, wherever they get a disability is, it can be a pretty exhausting thing for them to have and try to do. Yeah, definitely. I think it can be quite quite tiring. But I'm glad the conversation is is moving along in terms yeah. of what disabilities look like and how they present themselves. Yeah, because, yeah, it's important conversation when, when that isn't needed to be having advice. That yeah. I think were, there's still this yeah. feeling that, like, when people think of a disability, they think of a physical disability. I find that with a lot of people. Yeah. They'll have this view that if you say, oh, I'm disabled, they have this view of, like, you're in a wheelchair or yeah. you have a mobility issue of some description or something. There, there isn't this view of, oh, I'm disabled because, you know, I've, I'm autistic and, and there 
there isn't really like a physical manifestation that goes along with it. But it doesn't mean it's any less debilitating. It, it can be just as much or, or, or more so. If you don't have these conversations, the perception of disability, you know, wouldn't change things. And as you were saying, after you like hoping to see more people in politics are disabled, and if they already are in politics, they find they, that they are allowed and, you know, like are encouraged to talk about the disability as it's something that within politics, of course, that many intersectional groups do deeply need more representation in politics and just by talking about disability can actually allow for some progress and changes in political action to actually happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think it's also just a way of having it. There is also this view, I think, with disability that like if you're disabled, you can't necessarily hold down a stable job. You can't necessarily access housing in the same way. You can't, you know, there's lots of things that you can't do. And I think that if we are more transparent about those of us who do have disabilities. Um, yeah, if you're more yeah. transparent about those who do have disabilities, then people have a working living example of, oh, you know, this person has autism, this person, you know, is hard of hearing, this person, you know, whatever the disability yeah. may be. But them in an actual context doing the job that they probably love and are really yeah. proud. So I remember my 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 uh, housemate says this to me all the time, the one who's, he's a TA and he works with a lot of kids with, with autism. Um, and I think that and it's the primary school level. And I think primary school is an interesting time because it's it can be very sort of hit and miss in terms of when kids get that diagnosis, how they yeah. react to it. So for some kids, it brings them comfort and they go, OK, now I know what's happening. But some kids are like, I'm just weird. And I had, yeah. a, you know, as, as a primary school kid, you get a lot of kids who are like, I'm just weird. No one's going to be my friend. And that is how the thought process goes. And I always find it really like humbling when I meet primary school kids because I'm, I'm a girl to both the primary schools here who I meet you know if I meet kids who who have autism I find it hard to watch sometimes their the teachers can write them off in the classroom really quickly and go oh well you know we're just happy if he sits on the corner and plays on his iPad um he doesn't need to take part and I'm like well no you you can get a kid to take part you just make it interesting to them yeah and you take that little bit of extra effort and it's sometimes it can be quite hard because it's like I look at the, those kids and I'm like wow that was me and people were writing me off at a young age you know when I was in school yeah. my teachers didn't think I would go to university um they they didn't think I would make it past secondary school really and it wasn't for lack of ability it was for lack of emotional intelligence really that um that you know they thought I wouldn't I wouldn't make it very far and that was that's always really hard when you're when you're a kid to hear that from an adult really a tough and it and it does sort of impact the way that you think about yourself but also the way in which you view opportunities so when I was in school I wouldn't challenge myself to do things because I always thought that people were like oh well she's not going to go very far she's she doesn't she's clever but she doesn't you know she's she's book smart she's not street smart um but now you know every time I see something that's relevant to me or interesting I'll apply and I'm like you know worst comes to worst they say no and that you know I'm not a good fit but you know just because of the way that I work and, and the way that I am it shouldn't stop me from accessing opportunities that I think are, are interesting so I always try and promote that to like younger kids because at that age it's so make or break the confidence you may or may not have especially for kids that spend time masking as well yeah because I think at that age it puts a lot of stress on you there's always this view yeah. of like but I'm not normal I remember that like thinking that when I was a kid going well I'm not I'm not normal the other kids are yeah. normal 
but I am not normal is how I put it in my head. And to a primary school kid that, you know, that's as far as you can make it make sense. But that does impact you growing up because that thought stays in your head that you are not normal. You are not what the other kids are like. And thus you need to try and be normal. You need to try and fit in. And I went the other way and rebelled. I wanted nothing less than to fit in. And I didn't care who hated me. And actually when I was in secondary school, I always used to tell people, I hate people, which was probably true until about the age of 16. I was like, I I just, I hate people. I don't like people at all. And people make sense of that. And I think it was that, that pushing away of trying not to be that, that normal kid. I think there seems to be some sense of being just to be able to rebel and, you know, go against what people, you know, would expect from you because that's something like I would not have the confidence to do and, you know, like I respect people who try to do that, you know, uh, for for themselves and I guess it's <laughs> like for you trying to make like things a bit better for yourself with like how like how you were struggling with the school system and it's like if you don't talk to as you're saying about like the primary school, that is an important need to have like positive conversation around autism and I think even to non-autistic kids as well you know like to the whole class just make people feel like autism is normalized and you know that you know and just like it made accepted and included and actually give people a healthy definition in primaries of what it means to be autistic and means and being it's okay to be autistic and as I say like you know discussing representation of it and that's something that I guess on a you know like a given as panel of the school you try to uh, ensure that you know they are like discussing and you know promoting autism in a healthy way as a phrase you know if you're not discussing autism and you know trying to find like helpful solutions and giving the best of what an autistic student needs then you know you might end up with like never child of like that like mask and list and it, like you like you uh, already said you did and then you struggling with the depression and anxiety then definitely yeah. i i didn't enjoy school um i yeah. really enjoyed university because it was directly what i was interested in and i didn't have to mess around with everything else and if i wanted to not talk to people for a day no one no one was going to make a comment on that um, yeah. so i found that great and it works yeah. for a lot of people. it doesn't work for everyone you know and, it, and it's sad yeah. i don't know i i know a lot of people with autism who, st- who struggled at school and then yeah. you know college we went to university maybe just stopped there but they felt really discouraged by the school system because they just didn't fit that mold yeah. it wasn't working for them and it's sad that you know that's that's how we lose a lot of talent is just yeah. well I'm just not made for I'm just not clever I'm just not academic and and that's actually not the case it's just that not cut out for school <laughs> yeah or it's like yeah I've not the experience that like would have made a good experience like I've not like like you need to listen to one like actually like you probably thought even though we like you was like diagnosed and picked up as being autistic then you never need you know got in school what you like you needed in terms of support mm. like or like what or like having somebody like listening to you say like as you said I you know like certain sensory issues or like in classes were again a bit bored and you know like like didn't really want to be in the classroom and they're like because like it's not like the person I would be like listen to listening to you about your experience of autism and what you need then then that's like what like what could have been like the uh, make off like a decent school experience then 
I think it would be like if if schools and teachers were a bit more flexible about yeah. the way people learn and adapting, like learning the same concept but putting it in a way that those yeah. students may be interested in. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. Yeah, and also like I don't know, maybe making more of an effort with communication or working with communication in a better way. So like my friend was telling me this story the other day that one of the kids he works with is autistic, is diagnosed, has moved around a lot, and has just moved to this school, and uh, he does it. He's he's not nonverbal, but he communicates yeah. singular words. So it's a bit of a they can't class him as nonverbal because he, yeah. does, he does speak, but it's singular words. Um, yeah. And he said something the other day which was like very close to a sentence. Yeah. All the other teachers were like, "We well, shouldn't be doing this." And my friend was just like, "Is anyone just not noticing the fact he's come out with a full sentence? Yeah. Like we should be really impressed." And he's only in year four. You know, he's quite young. Yeah. Um, and my friend was like, "It's weird that none of the other teachers seem to care that this kid who." only speaks yeah. in singular words and gets across his point in singular words has come out with a full sentence you know even using things like because you know like it's, it, it's a it's a complex sentence and yeah. and it's those small things that you know in in those early stages that that teachers should be you know impressed with and looking at and looking yeah. at what may have caused the kids to communicate in that way um and then I think when you're a little bit older so sort of secondary school level yeah. um again it's about keeping that adapting the work to to be of interest to to the individual but equally yeah. all of the social struggles that come with being in secondary school um and I think that's where they really manifest themselves so I think in primary school it's it's a bit more innocent it's tame any bullying is sort of resolved in a day a lot of the time yeah. uh, at the primary school level but in secondary school it can turn a lot more toxic and I think yeah. that a lot of autistic kids are not taken into account when that happens yeah. uh, when it comes to like mental health how it can impact them um even just like the basic name calling um um, being weird of I mean I always used to get that I had resting bitch face you know like I always looked like I was angry uh, it was just because you know some days I was just tired of masking and I think also that's that's the last thing is sometimes like I find that when I've masked for a long time um, and I found this in secondary school you mask for a long time you get exhausted yeah like I have to lie down for two working days uh, and, and it's so tiring I don't think people quite realize how tiring that process is and it when I was in secondary school no one ever explained to me and I think I would have benefited from that um either a healthcare professional or like someone in school but when you yeah. are masked a it's tiring but b it's not something that everyone else is doing so you don't need to hold yourself to that high standard i was i was beating myself up going i'm so tired no one else is this tired and i don't understand why and it never crossed my mind it was because i was masking and they weren't yeah and i was consciously making certain choices in my masking to appeal more to people that other people just weren't do it because they you know they, they weren't yeah. it's like i think it's like such simple simple thing that just could make much more defense as if you're actually like listening to the autistic person and you know just like basically have having a like chat or like engaging with what they are you know what's like going well for them and actually like like talking to them and like about the autistic experience as I said like about masking and all that and something just simple as that and you know looking and you know just listening to what's going on and you know it makes a world of defense yeah no, I think you're right. I don't know. I never really thought about it until yeah. I was older. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's nothing like, you know, you think of at a time. Yeah. Uh, is there anything like, you know, like you haven't said or you haven't got to say, what would you think would be something good to have said to the podcast or discuss? I think I, 
kind of touched on this at the beginning, but I think yeah. 25 now, um, I've been active in politics for a few years. I think that as autistic people who understand a lot of these things, um, be it from our own experience yeah. or friends, I think we have a responsibility to when we meet young people who are struggling with their diagnosis or struggling with, you know, being in these situations who really want to engage in politics, in, you know, in anything really, um, that we normalise what we do and we talk about it. Like it took me a while to even talk about things like masking talk about things like not being able to work a room um but now that I have started and I can talk to younger people you know I've I've got a couple of friends like I said in politics who genuinely thank me and go no one else understands what this feels like and they're and I'm impressed because you know they're younger than me and they're comfortable talking about these things um but they'll text me on the side and go you know do you ever get those days where people you know in the, you'll be in the office and people think you're angry and you're not angry you're just doing your work you know <laughs> things like that and normalizing yeah. the fact that autistic people work in a different way, we communicate in a different way, and actually that's okay. And the younger we start instilling that in people, um, I think you know a lot of that stigma will go away. Yeah. The stigma that possibly had to deal with. Yeah, but maybe absolutely. younger people hopefully won't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, like <laughs> you know, like it's quite good just to have that conversation. You know, like as you say, like after a long day, you know, just like talk, like oh, do you have that experience? And you know, it's like having a casual conversation about it. Uh, as you say, it goes long way of like like helping you know like your mental health you know like or if it's like speaking about it their mental health you know just like good things just like to talk to like minded people it's about those like to simple experiences you know as you're saying about like mental health early on you know like I think it's like it's like as simple as like having a of people who are also autistic they can uh, like as you say pick, like tech pick up the phone and just have a text or phone call with and just like have a conversation like that and like you know it's just, uh, just so simple way of making like everyday a bit better hmm. yeah um um, I don't know really. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it'll be a simple answer. I think yeah. that anything that you want to do has to cut across a range yeah. of like I think that with autism a lot of the stuff yeah. is like health yeah when definitely not simple possibly but... sometimes education but actually it affects, yeah. it affects everything in your life it affects the way that you work yeah. the way that you know you may be able to access housing you know that, that's all yeah. it's all affected yeah I definitely I guess it didn't mean to say like a simple answer but like can be like like a, it's like a simple thing that can you know just like like make like like a minor bit of different sometimes as I said like in terms of like all the other different issues that like you know going on in like like a person's life as I said other like policy areas then you know like of course there needs to be that but you know as I said sometimes if you're in terms of the area of like having like a small bit of interaction like that can help in some way yeah I think it does cross into other areas of my life like Obviously, I, I don't work in politics. Yeah, I, no. You know, oh, I yeah. work within science um, and it affects the way. Yeah. That I, obviously, I come across the same problems when I have to go to conferences and that sort of thing. But equally, just in the way that like social interactions work, I had this conversation with a friend the other day and he was like, he struggles as an autistic person going on dates yeah. um, and that whole setup. So I was trying to explain to him, he's a, he's a bit younger than me. So I was trying to explain to him that like you have to make it work for you and that there isn't a right way to do things. And if people are telling you there's a right way to do things, they're probably not worth yeah. your time. But I think that even the way that, yeah, that as an autistic person, I form connections is yeah. different. Value is different as well. So I've always valued someone that like, I don't need, I don't know, some people like really need a lot of communication, whereas I don't like, yeah. 
if I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm, I am, you know, dating someone, when yeah. date one, I could not hear from you for three days and that would be completely fine. And I really wouldn't think anything, yeah. but some people need that like constant reassurance. Yeah. Not one of those I, people. I would yeah. rather be busy. And equally, I could forget to talk to you for three days. Yeah. And you would have to be fine with that because I'd just be, I don't know, working, traveling, whatever. Something else has come up. Um, yeah, and it doesn't get off you then. Prioritize. You know, that's just not yeah. at that point. It doesn't mean that I don't value yeah. action. Yeah. That I work yeah. in a different way and that's fine. Yeah. I was saying recently that the most romantic thing that um someone's done for me was um he he made us a shared calendar. And I thought that was amazing because <laughs> I really loved being able to like share plans in that way. Yeah. Like for me, that was an interesting mode of communication. I remember telling all my friends, I was like, oh my God, he's made a he's made us a shared calendar. <laughs> um and they were like, what? Why are you affected by this? Like, that's so sad. I was like, are you kidding? That's amazing. Like, that's so cool. I can, I can know what, um, you know, not know, but yeah. I can know what he wants to plan. I can see far ahead what we'll be doing. Yeah. That's awesome. I have that, like, reassurance. I don't need that person chatting to me every day yeah. and wishing me good morning and good night. Like, it's just nice to know that we have yeah. plans. I think and I don't know why I was, like, so excited by this. But I think it was it's I think it's one of those things that, you know, like if you're talk, talking to autistic person, you know, like it would make complete sense and you're like, you know, totally get it. But it's like one of those things that it might not make sense to like an autistic person. And I think it's like one of those small conversations with an autistic person. It's like, yeah, I can relate to that and totally get that. And then the moment, yeah, like you feel a bit normalised for that. And, you know, like it just feels like just another thing. And as you say, that you know, for like relations with autistic people, if it's like both best friend, as you said, partner that you make me date, and you know, like it could go with like a week or big days, or like even like weeks without like talking, but like, yeah, it's still like things all good. It's like you're not always sometimes you're not always relying on that being committed to talking five times a day, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, I don't know, I guess it's the quality of the socializing, yeah. For me, like I, I like that. I don't care how much it happens, but there, there could be just one thing that sticks out, and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! This is so yeah. cool, <laughs> and yeah. that's enough. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, because it would be like way really too exhausting, Jamie, just to be like, you know, like constantly going out socializing all the time. And they've yeah, I go yeah, that's definitely a thing that you know, like, can be quite draining that way. So like, as I say, quality is better than quantity, you know. And because you know, like, those like some of it can be quite repetitive. And I think sometimes if you're like an autistic person's having a conversation when something like refreshed or new, like you things an outdoor, you know, like of interest. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think yeah. that, yeah, I think that it is just about like, like I said, the way that you socialize and yeah. different things, different people as well. Like, I don't yeah. think all autistic people will probably have the reaction that I do, but yeah, yeah. So, and equally, I didn't realize like from past relationships where people were really into communication um how tiring it was for me like I would I would be exhausted by just talking to someone I was dating which is horrible yeah. to say but it's happened more than once that, that you know I'd then come out of that relationship being like oh my god I, I feel like a weight has been lifted in how much that person was asking from me and you know when I was younger I thought that was normal um but now I realize that you know it, it is it is about making yourself feel comfortable as well yeah. while I never communicated that this was tiring for me yeah it was like 
how to just have ha- be a bit more relaxed about it. Yeah, yeah, I see. You've got like feeling very relaxed and like finding that like kind of struggling right balance within a relationship because like it's important that what relationships are you both feel oh you know okay and you know like with it and you know that works for both in that relationship. Like I always tend to ask like a difficult question on that podcast. Like if there was one thing that you would change for the better for autistic neurodivergent and people you know in the world or in general what would that be probably the the way that we're viewed in the media that is my bugbear of like yeah. there's this view that we always look at our feet and don't talk and whatever and and, yeah. and there is that lack of the diversity that surrounds autism yeah and the spectrum so i think that that's what i would change yeah because i say with lack of diversity because you know we on like tv or like you know as you say you're like certain media like mainstream wouldn't really see many like people of color to you know where uh, uh, LGBTQ people so on like in the media and that does need to change because autistic people are diverse and have to in so many ways and thank you to Liga and SFFR Hat for coming on the podcast and you for listening I hope you enjoyed this interview that I hosted with Lena SFFR Hat if you did like uh, rate uh, like rate and save the podcast as you know it will help people discover and find the podcast. If you liked it, maybe consider rating it at five stars on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting platforms that allow you to rate and review a podcast. As I said also, feel free to share the podcast on social media to help the people find the podcast. Or you can also tag us on uh, the New Rainbow podcast, myself on social media at New Rainbow UK on Twitter and at New Rainbow Project across other platforms that include Instagram, Facebook and TikTok as most just those platforms right now at the moment and as I said hope you enjoyed the interview if you haven't followed uh, Lena Sarah Hart. You can find her by searching Lena Sarah Hart on social media platforms or Lena Farhat there, and you'll be able to find about her. And you know, wherever you fancy, you've seen if you can follow her and uh, see what other things she does as well on Sarah on social media. You can also uh, uh, find on the website www newrainbowproject.com with uh, information about future guests as well as uh, information to get to know the podcast's guests and link to the past interviews and as I said you can also find the links of where to watch the podcast videos and interviews on YouTube Uh, and this interview with Lena will be up on YouTube tomorrow. That's Monday, the twenty uh, second of May, twenty thirteen, and yeah, you'll be able to find that there tomorrow in the afternoon. You'll be able to find the YouTube channel in the uh, social media platforms. We'll have a link to the video as well as in the link to your social media platforms. 
as well as, as I said, looking on the website www.newrainbowproject.com and where, and where uh, as I said, you'll hear updates about up and coming guests on social media. Use the hashtag NeuroRainbowCastPod uh, to tag the social media platform with your questions, your ideas for the podcast, any guests, and as I said, any questions you would like to hear answered on a podcast. As well, if you got any feedback, send that to neurocast at avocreo.com. That's neurocast at com. And thank you again for listening to the podcast. This is hosted by me, Autistically Aaron. And this is a Neurocast. as Autistically as Neurocast, a podcast produced by Arawatu and is for the New Rainbow Project. As I said, thank you and hope to you, you, uh, you have you listening to the podcast again next Sunday from 10pm UK time.